So welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited. This is my first show, Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan. And as everybody knows, I go big or go home. So my first guest, I'm so excited to introduce you. You already know him. You know him and love him. It's Gary V. And a brief bio for anyone who might not know. I hate the one Trouty sent me, so I'm going to go off what I think. He's the chairman of of VaynerX. He's co-founder of Empathy Wines, which we're so excited about. Uh, Co-founder of VaynerMedia. He's an international best known for his speaking, his writing, best-selling author, five New York Times best-selling books. He is a social media phenomenon and mentor to millions and overall bad. So I'm so glad to have uh, this time with you today. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. You. All right. So I wanted to start today. You know, this is interesting because I'm looking at the show around how do we create confidence for ourselves and others and diving into some of the hard times in life and how we bounce back from them. Just so you know, I reached out to your team and I said, guys, I, your team's amazing, by the way. And I said, guys, I need your help. Help me dig into his past and let's find some times he struggled with confidence. That must have been hard. No, you're going to love this one. This has happened to no one. Heather, we spoke to his family. We spoke to all employees. There aren't any times this man has struggled with confidence. Is that true? You know, I would say outside of the sixth to like 10th grade window around singularly like... Um, am I starting to like girls and do I have the confidence to like ask them out is really the only even resemblance of anything. I, here's what I've done and this is super interesting where you just took me with that question. One of the things I'm most proud of is I talk about only things I know. One of the reasons I'm improv one of the reasons, I mean, look, we're doing this podcast. You can see I'm like trying to run the company seconds before we sit down. I'm like trying to be cordial. I, I felt bad because I have <laughs> fires going on right now. But you're like sitting here. We had a few minutes before we started this. And I'm like, let me put this down. And you know, I wanted to be nice. I'm like, I don't want to be that, right? But like I can go on in a second because I will only talk about what I know. It's the same answer to what I'm about to tell you. I have basically only done things that I love and I'm good at. So it's super hard for me to lack confidence when I'm disproportionately passionate and disproportionately capable of the thing that I'm doing at all times. Plus then I'm also really, really good with people and don't overvalue their opinions. And so, look, everybody has struggled with confidence, but like one of the reasons in that investigative reporting that it's been tough is I've, I've no question, I've now come realized I'm a little bit of a unique kind of dude and I think there's strengths and weaknesses in that. You know, like, like I don't, I've never experienced skydiving because I'm like, I don't like that and I don't wanna do that. Like, like you know, like it's, there's a lot of things that are limited about me. Sure. Um, but it's also the reason that that was the answer, and I think the overarching answer, and I just touched on it, is one thing I can tell you is you will be hard-pressed to go through life and find many people as deeply insular as I am. I am remarkably incapable of getting too high on people's positive feedback or too low on, I'm just in this weird, deeply weird zone of like, it is what it is, um, I have super good intent. I have zero expectation of others. I have no entitlement that I deserve anything. 
I am just in this very interesting mind zone that I am so grateful for now that I've come to realize it as I've lived and been about and. No Addy, just Graddy. It was, you know, it's it's really funny about that and thank you for noticing that. I posted it yesterday. Like, like it is remarkable that so much of what everybody aspires to get from meditation, from medicine, from self-help, like from all these things that 99.999999% of people are trying to get to this place through these things, my mother and my circumstances and my DNA and my father and my sister and my, like my circumstances and DNA and so I'm so grateful for this zone I'm in. I'm really, really confident. I Have really you am. always felt that grateful? Yes. Or? Wow, that's amazing. Let me phrase. I always, I didn't know the word was grateful. I always was like, I was super in love with my mother. You know, like, because <laughs> I knew something good was going on. I was super, I, I never complained. Never. Like just don't have that gear. Can you start working with children more, please? I w- listen. <laughs> what do you think I'm up to, right? Like so much of what drives me today is the fact that there is an enormous amount of 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds that think I'm cool because of Instagram, and I am secretly so grateful for the opportunity to like form some of their opinions. Absolutely, I really am. A woman the other day tweeted yesterday. Like finally somebody, she took a screenshot of a text message with her and her son. And she said, finally, 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 somebody's penetrated my son. And I can't tell you how good it made me feel. Well, to me, the overarching theme to me is more than the gratitude is that you're leading this purpose-driven passion life, which so many people do not live in. So many people go to work to chase a paycheck or because this is what my parents told me to do or, you know, so how did it end up? Was it by chance that your dad started the wine library and you ended up just loving wine and sales was there? How did those dots connect? They started in fourth grade, I believe, when I decided consciously off of intuition and feelings that I didn't believe in school and that I knew Think about how young you are. Yeah, but hang on a second. This is, this is frustrating as a mother because Please. I have an 11 year old and I'm all about you encouraging it, you know these kids not to complain. However, it's dicey when you start saying, I wanted to get out of school and school's not for everyone. It's dicey if you hold the institution of school being an, a, a, on a pedestal. And, and I think that's fine. I, don't, I, I want none of my opinions to be anyone else's opinion. I want to share my opinions that I've lived or I've observed very closely and want to talk about them. I get 10,000 DMs a week from children 13 to 20 saying things that they would never tell their parents. And so when I say things about, hey parents, you're buying your daughter a BMW because she's begging for it, but she's telling me behind the scenes that I hate my parents for making my life so easy now that kid's talking out of both sides of their mouth, but they're a 15 year old. And so like, what's the decision making process in that is an unbelievable conversation. We have a whole generation of parents on millennials, but they're the ones who raised that entitlement. Right. You know, the, <laughs> I, I think of it as 
enormous self-esteem building in parallel with radical candor and lack of entitlement. And that's what I think my mom did. She told me I was the best, but when I went 0 for 4 in a Little League game, she didn't blame the umpire or my coach. She said you weren't good enough. It's leadership by example. I mean, that's all it, was, it is. You know, but it's very rare in our society today because parents want to build self-esteem, but what they actually did was build entitlement. And kids got soft. And we're collectively soft because we didn't pay the piper and have a recession in 2009. Everything is materialistic. We all care to keep up with the Joneses. Everybody's valuing everybody's opinions. Opinions are flying heavier and more black and white than ever because of social media. And we've gotten into this massive cocoon of everybody's listening to every voice but their own. And then when some people tell me, well, Gary, my voice says I suck. I'm like, that's not your voice. You've taken on the voice of someone else. Sure. But how do you do that with your kids? Lady Gaga said something yesterday on social because she crushed the Met Gala. And she said something like, I once had a boyfriend who told me I would never be famous, that I would never win a Grammy, that nobody, did you see this? I love that, yeah, that's been out for a little And she said, and I replied to him by saying, one day after we're broken up, you're not gonna be able to go to the deli without hearing my name or seeing my face. She put it out into the universe, she owned it, and it's, that's, un- I showed that to my kid, that's I, so funny I, you just brought that quote up. And I just so understand that. Yeah. I was told by the system, by my report card, by the friends, parents, by my teachers, by everybody that I would be a failure. D's and F's, you were gonna be a failure in life. The only voice I listened to was my own. And that was instilled by your mom. Correct. Through self-esteem, I'll never forget it. Opening a door for an elderly woman when I was eight years old at a McDonald's, I can see it now. Oak Tree Road, Bradley's, Mm -hmm. Edison, New Jersey, 1983. maybe 84, before November, opening a door for a woman, sunny day, McDonald's, opening a door for a woman, and my mom went off as if I won a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh. She instilled positive reinforcement around a very good behavior. My mom also punished me on every report card. She punished me consistently through high school. No Nintendo, no TV, (laughs) no phone, no friends, no going out all the way through my senior year of high school, even though I was proving to her that I was capable, sports cards, helping my dad's business, she held me accountable. I was still a student and I was failing at school and thus you should pay the price. That accountability mattered. A lot of moms and dads are overacting the other way. They've decided entrepreneurship is cool, their kids getting Fs and they're like, hey, you're gonna be an entrepreneur but what I'm worried about is they're creating entitlement. You know, and so this tightrope of self-esteem building while being accountable mm. is remarkably difficult. And then, back to like the sixth to 10th grade of like, I like girls but I'm scared to ask them out because I don't want rejection. Sure. I also didn't conform to peer pressure, ever. And that was because I just couldn't hear anybody else's voice. I couldn't hear anybody else's voice but my own. Well, there's no way you would have been able to get to where you are today, specifically from the social media standpoint, where there are so many haters, there's so much negativity and attack online that you developing this authentic confidence has got to be one of the reasons why you could get here. You know where it comes from also? Balancing it with empathy. Let me give you my perspective on when I read something that says, 
well, you're, you're a crackhead, Gary, or you're, you're a charlatan, or you're lucky, or right. you're, your daddy gave it to you, sure. when they don't know the story of what I actually did at Wine Library. All those things penetrate first level hurt. You know, nobody wants to hear it. But immediately my place doesn't go into, I'm confident, you, my place goes to, man, God, thank you God for not letting me live a life where I would actually take the time <laughs> to spend and consume somebody's content. I don't even consume anybody's content to begin with, let alone consume with the interest to tear that person down. You have to be so unhappy inside to wanna manifest tearing somebody else down. And I, I listen, I don't like talking about this, but this is your first episode and I wanna give you something. Thank you. My grandma was remarkably negative. You know, she has dementia now, she's been in essence gone for five to seven years, but she's been gone to me for 25 years because she was the singular most negative person I'd ever come across in my life. And the reason I checked out from her at 16, 17, 18, whenever I did, was because she spent 100% of her time tearing down other people. My father, my mother. It's your father's my, mother. Yes, my aunt, my sister. She tried to do it to me, but I was like so, in a, like, you know, she gave up on tearing me down, I think, at some level, because she could sense that I didn't give up. You know, but nonetheless, I, I'm disproportionately optimistic and positive. But I live, my grandma spent her whole summer with us, every summer. So how would you create boundaries to protect yourself from someone like that? I couldn't hear her. But other people can. How did your sister do it then? She did it. Oh. <laughs> do you understand? That stinks. It sucks. And so like, what people don't know is everything about me, because I don't share everything like I just shared with you. And the reality is like, I've seen it up close and personal. I know the extreme positivity, I know extreme negativity. Not only was she a disproportionately negative person, she lived her adult life until she was my age right now, 43, before she moved to America. You know, and like lived in Soviet Russia. She was a widow with a 15 year old. Like she had life. She had a tough life. Yeah. She like was a child in World War II. Like I don't judge her. Right. But I also understand what it is. And I understand why my dad is the way he is because that was his framework mother. His environment was the Soviet Union and that mother. Mine was America and coming of age and my mother. So I'm grateful. How did your dad and your mom get together? Because they sound really Sometimes different. Sometimes opposites attract. <laughs> and, you know, and my dad is amazing in a lot of ways. Sure. But he will look at the world negative. My dad starts with no. I start with yes. That's a very different way to see the world. Are they proud of you now, your dad, specifically? Oh, my, dad is, my dad and I are outrageously close. And my dad, you know, just because he starts with no or just because he had a negative mom and because he's negative doesn't mean there's so many. I mean, my dad is ridiculously loyal, outrageously proud. No, you know what? I, crazy let me tell you what ethic. I mean by please, that. Please, please. I, I want to do a better job with this question. When I wrote my first book, some people in my family were upset. They don't like hearing about inside your life because uh, it was inside our life You know life what's in funny? I think my parents, uh, well, first of all, my mom, I, I've literally made her out, like my mom oh, loves she her. She worships you. Well, she worshiped me from the get. Right. She lost her mother at five. Oh my she, gosh. Her dad went to jail when she was a kid, like for 10 she years. She had a tough life too. Way tougher than my grandmother. 
Wow, interesting. Thus, as you can imagine, it's hard for me to let people have excuses about having a tough child. Like, it's very hard for me to accept people blaming their childhood when my mother lost her mother at five and lost her dad for 10 years to jail when she was a teenager and like- Who raised her? A stepmother. Wow. Who wasn't thrilled about it because she was just devastated from losing her new husband to jail. And then she came to America and was poor and she worked every day of her life, went on zero vac- My mom and I went on two family vacations. Like, like my mom never complained a day in her life. Her life is compared to 99.999% of people that come to me with complaints. It's hard for me to get going to accept your complaints when that's my mom's life and it's right in my face. Forget about my life, which had its hardships, but like not compared to most, or, or, or just in the mix, you know, like, my mom's the most positive, like amazing, like I'm a byproduct of her. So what do you think that is, a choice? DNA is big. Chemicals that were put in her, because she didn't decide at five years old to be like, I'll face this disaster. I think chemicals real. Um, I think chemicals are real. I re- Look, this has been figured out long before us, like DNA and environment is real. DNA is crapshoot. Environment gets into an interesting game, right? It's also a crapshoot, you don't pick your parents, but what you decide to listen to and whom becomes a very interesting debate to me. You know, one of the things that I'm very proud of is I am the practical positive reinforcement in a lot of people's ears right now and I take that very seriously and it really makes me happy because a lot of people don't have the luxury of having family that is cheering exactly. for them. You know, most people have family that's booing for them. Misery loves company. Most people want to tear down everybody else's building to make theirs feel bigger. You know, it's very rare to have pure, practical positivity being pumped into the ecosystem, hence why all the attention I have, and easy for me not to get high on my supply because as you can tell by this conversation, I view that as a cosign to my parents and my circumstance. I'm not special, my parents are special, my circumstances were special. I'm just living out the circumstances. Do you ever get afraid, and this is kind of off topic, but I'm thinking about you being special. You know, first of all, I think everyone's special, right? So, in their own unique way. They are. However, you've created this real strong, forward-facing, personal brand first. Yes. I think of Gary Vee first before VaynerMedia, no right? No question. Of course. You and everybody else. Before right. Empathy Wines. You and everybody else. So. You know, do you ever get worried from a business perspective? Am I so big that what if I get knocked off by a bus tomorrow? What happens to the company? No. What is what? What does happen? It folds, <laughs> or they rally and decide to keep it afloat in the honor of their fallen leader. You never think of that. No, because it's a silly thing to think about. It's interesting. It's, to an, me. it's an ideology. First of all, it's selfish. Like I'm dead. Why wouldn't you want to set your people and your teams up I for success? Already. So the, the company- I have already. The company set explain. up to, okay. Not the company, them. The company, I care about them. Do you know what happens to Dustin? He writes a blog post and does his story of what he remembers about Gary this one time he said this thing to me, posts it on LinkedIn and 400,000 people ask him to be on their personal brand team. This is where I'm unbelievably selfless. I don't care about, 
my company. You, that's I care amazing. about the human. You like it? Crazy, it's shocking. Right? I've been in corporate America my entire career until the last year and a half, and I will tell you, I have never once seen a chairman or a CEO come from business at that perspective, and I think it's amazing. that's unbelievable. Because I actually think it's also practical, not just altruistic. I've died. I'm not gonna care. I don't know. I literally don't know what's happening. It's over. It's a wrap. What I've done is I've built such a progressive forward-facing personal brand that the collateral on my employees is remarkable. Do you know what's going on right now? My people are getting offered all sorts, like especially for Team Gary, these two characters, like they just have options and that makes me happy. Kenny just left the team. He got a great gig in California. Now, I think it's super great here that people are naive about and I think that, you know, I'm a uniquely kind of interesting character and it's, it look, I make it look a lot easier than it is and, and that will either play out or not for Kenny but like he's now family and I think, I think I've done, that's what the best part of what I'm doing is. I'm just in the middle, right? I just established to you my, what's above me, right? My parents, my circumstance and what's below me is my employees. They're feeling all the benefits of it. It's so interesting because I'm just seeing right now your brand is just pulling people towards you, people wanting to be a part of this. You're, you're constantly recruiting, but not from a fake standpoint, from just a true organic showing the world who you are. It's, it's genius. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's very, um, look, this is a very, I, wanna, I know a lot of people who are listening right now have never heard of me, so this is gonna come across pretty aggressive. So I'm hedging, so please bear with me. I hope you see the, purely good part of this, not the narcissistic part, but my ambitions are remarkably high. Like I wake up every morning trying to have a statue made of me. <laughs> you know? Hashtag goals. You know, like, and, and here's why it's a, worthy of a laugh and why I had to hedge it. Hmm. One could see that and be like, ugh, like what is that? I see it as if that is actually your framework, the only way you do that as a human that is not an athlete or a politician is you have to be disproportionately one of the great, nice humans of all time. I'm trying. I think I, I, think I was gifted something. It'd be like if you're LeBron, you don't wake up in the morning at 13 when you realize, oh my God, I could literally be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. You don't kind of then run away from that and say like, I'm gonna be a painter. Sometimes people do, Gary, that's the thing and, and that's what's important about this show and about your content is letting people know your job is to chase your passion. Your job is, even though it's scary, even though it's hard, even though everyone's telling you not to do it, even though the money's not there yet, go anyways. Look, you're preaching. I think that one of the manifestations of my work that I'm most proud of is if somebody goes and reads Crush It, which I wrote in 2008 and came out in 2009, we're talking about a decade now. I mean, I n not only do I fully believe in what you just said, because it was the manifesto, I also ended up being right, because in 2008 it didn't seem possible. There was no <laughs> podcasts, there was no Instagram. Uh, you're preaching, sister. Like, here's why. If you never get anywhere close to my level of notoriety or financial rewards, you will be just as happy as me in the process of chasing the practical passion. Don't worry, I'm getting there. I believe you, and, I, and I'm saying that to everybody who's listening. You know, like, I was as happy as I am right now 
in the basement of my dad's liquor store packing boxes. You one- truly were. I'm gonna really with you right now. You ready for this? Ready. Happier. I love the process. And I love when nobody knows who I am and when I'm underestimated. I love it, I love it. I have a chip on my shoulder, I'm an underdog. I like being underestimated. The thing that is most difficult in my life right now is that I'm overestimated now. That's interesting. Uh Uh-huh, now I've crossed the chasm where (laughs) I could say anything to a certain group of people and they're gonna think I can pull it off. Empathy wines may fail, we have a lot of headaches. That's gonna be shocking to everybody. I weirdly want it to happen. Trouty does not. <laughs> Trouty doesn't because, and he shouldn't because this is his first big at bat. He's disproportionately tied into it. I'm not. I don't want the loss. I don't want the scarlet letter. But boy, one of the great ways for people to understand the true me is for me to have a loss in a wine business of all things. Right. I don't know. I don't know to tell you. I'm not scared of that loss. You're so unique that way in that, as I mentioned before, I had a very successful career in corporate America. I became very comfortable. It was safe. I I could see it was linear and you just keep getting promoted and the money's coming in and it's, it's very comfy. I've had to learn in the last year and a half to take the leap into the unknown. There's total darkness and this is good for you and what you're doing right now, Trotty, you know, starting this new company. You have to just keep moving forward, and it's scary. And where you love that scary is what I'm hearing. I don't, because I'm so used to loving the comfort. It's really, it can be really hard. Purebred entrepreneurship. This is some, you really hit me in my heart, because you articulated it so well from the other perspective. This is why I hate so many people going into entrepreneur. My friends, I couldn't agree more with you need to go chase your passion, all, all those things that we just talked about. This is what led me to self-awareness. Please make sure you're hearing both of us very clearly. You chasing your passion doesn't mean you can't be a number four. Your passion, your happiest place might be the number four for a leader that you blindly believe in for the next 63 years. I'm not sure DRock's ever gonna leave now, whereas two years ago and two of his teammates who are in the trenches with him were like, "Mm, that might be true. They both just shook their head because I think that might play out, and it may not, and tomorrow he could walk in, that's fine, but where I'm going with that is self-awareness. You're right, I love the dark. I started when I was nine. You're in fourth grade. <laughs> of course you're supposed to go through school. I'm, it's also 1983, 84, 85. There is no entrepreneurship. College is the only way to win in our society, right? right? right. There, you want to talk about real dark? I've only lived in dark. I've only lived in the unknown. In a weird way, that's um, that was an amazing gift that you were given, although I went the other way. At that time, I would have thought oh, your life was hell, that you had to everybody, work. Yeah, everybody thinks that. It sounds so hard. What's, what's hard is not doing something that is true to you. And so I want to really redefine success. I really, really do. I really, like, this is my new thing, which is like, okay, wait a minute, right. Everybody starts with a North Star. If I, through my sheer will and gifts, can start a true movement of conversation that success needs to be happy and calm, not rich and famous, boy, could I really be good when I do finally get hit by a bus. Like, that has to be the ROI. Like, it has to be. And like, my big thing is like, 
like cars and diamonds and wine and like sneakers and homes and planes and tickets to big events like please don't make that your aspirations fine if you want to like knock yourself out but like please understand that making $88,000 a year loving it will always always beat making 297 hating it absolutely and we don't have that conversation in our culture just yet and when people just heard follow your passion where they get stuck, let me give you an example. If we did this podcast 11 years ago, following your passion, and the other person on the other line says, well, my passion is to play video games. <laughs> there was nothing for him or her to see that they could make enough money to live in society around playing video games. When I say that now, everybody knows that you can be an esports star, and not only can you live your passion, you can be rich and famous being ninja. I'm familiar, my 11-year-old tells me every day. So <laughs> what happens is, That's my concern. My concern is that everybody listening right now, follow your passion, do your thing. If that thing is knitting, or if that thing is sports gambling, which would be highly not acceptable right now by most (laughs) parents of 11 year olds, though the math behind it is very similar to poker and all this other stuff, and I do believe that moms and dads all across the world right now have 11 year olds whose number one passion is sports betting, and they look down on it because what they look on was the past. Bookies, the mafia, Las Vegas. That's where we're all coming from our past. And I always look at the future. That's my knack. So what I see is that the gamble, the sports better is gonna be put on the pedestal similar to the stock trader or similar to a professor. Or let me give an example that's already happened. If you walked into your parents' house in 1987 and said, Dad, I wanna be a chef. (laughs) Your dad would have been like, you're what? gonna be a cook in a restaurant, <laughs> you loser. But what would have happened is you could have gone on to become a famous chef, which is what culture was 10 years ago. It's not as cool today to be a famous chef as it was 10 years ago. It's still pretty cool. But it's still pretty cool, and it's crazy compared to 1985 where your parents would have thought you were a cook. Well, what you just taught me, and, and I, I think it's really important to highlight this, we're all coming at something from our past, our past experience what we can stop in that moment and do instead is come at it from what our future may be and look to Maybe. see what it may be and open our and minds listen, to thinking differently. And if you listen to your kids, they're gonna give you insights to the, what Absolutely. the future can be. Absolutely. And this is a very powerful parenting tip. Every parent is judging their kids based on yesterday, but your kids are living in today, which is a better indicator of tomorrow. That's really, really powerful. Dropping knowledge, Gary. <laughs> Trying to give D some micro content for my Instagram. You know, but, but this is, this is I really like how I articulated that. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. And that has been the benefit. You know, when I said to my dad, I wanna open a, a dot com in 1996, my dad had never been on a computer at that point. Hmm. I'm, I'm being serious right now. Had never physically used a computer at that point. So he's, you know, 43 years old and has never in his life used a computer. So for him to judge me deciding to launch a dot com, I ended up being historically correct. I also luckily had an incredible father who at that point saw what I did in the liquor store from 14 to 21 and saw that I worked hard and I wasn't an idiot and I paid my dues and he gave me my opportunity to do that. 
Right, a lot of kids go into their family business and expect their parents to let them do something, but they didn't put in the seven years that I put in. Right. You know, people are like always like, Gary, how'd you convince your dad <laughs> to let you do those radical things? By working my face off from 14 to 22 by the time no I was one saw 20. That. I, nobody understood that. So, so, you know, that's when, so anyway, man, I'm really excited we're talking about this. I think I just, I think we just helped a lot of parents. I really mean that. And hearing that you have an 11 year old, like he's more right than you are. Now, the key to this whole thing was, it's funny that I brought 14 to 22. The key if your son wants to be a, prof- you know, a professional sports gambler or a sports card flipper or, or a sneaker flipper or an esports star or an Instagram celebrity is work ethic. This is where parents often make the mistake in reverse. When I turned 14, I was a bad student. I, I was already a baseball card entrepreneur. My mom and dad looked at me and said, you now work in the liquor store every day. You're not gonna be a, you're not going to Harvard big shot? That means you're gonna have to work. Right. You might as well start now. So, <laughs> if your kid tells you that they're not gonna follow the school system, I don't think, and they're not gonna be in the NBA, they might not be able to be on three basketball teams. You may have to cut them to one because you want them to still have a balanced life, but they better work. Parents are not putting kids into the working system early enough. So now you have a kid that's getting D's and F's, but he's telling you, mom, don't worry, I'm gonna be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg sold CDs. Mark Zuckerberg built apps when he was a kid. There's a second part of this conversation that's not being talked about. I've never talked about it. I'm pumped for putting this on film as well. If you're gonna let your kid be an entrepreneur and that's the path, I want that kid to actually work. So what job do you want these kids to get? Either a business that actually makes money that they're doing by themselves, that's fine. Get a joint account, show me Ricky. Not ideas, ideas. Execution, you got a business this summer? You're a DNF student going into ninth grade, now we're going to high school? We've had a, a very adult conversation that you're not gonna maybe go to college or you're not a great student? Okay, in between your summer from eighth to ninth grade, instead of slacking off and getting ready for high school, you either A, go work at Walmart so you can get dirt under your nails because that's the future of your life. Ooh, no kid wants to do that. Or, you better start flipping on eBay or StockX or show me that your Instagram account around Magic the Gathering or around fashion makes money. So I'll give you June, but if on 4th of July, you can't show me a bank account that has $2,000 in it because you sold ads on your Instagram, now you're going to Walmart. Suffocating that is the key to practical parenting instead of ideological parenting. Right. And that is the framework of my optimism and confidence. And confidence. Because what happens is that kid gets real life. And so what's gonna happen is Sarah is either gonna sell $480 worth of slime, which the market is gonna give her positive reinforcement. Not her friends saying that she looks pretty. The market buying $480, that becomes, that's what was my positive reinforcement. I didn't need my teachers or my friends or the system. When I did a baseball card show and I sold $2,000 worth of cards, the market was telling me I was good. Validating you. Validation. The market. No individual human. anyone to do it. The market. Look, I'm literally getting, look at these goosebumps. It's a really interesting insight. That is really powerful. It's why nobody's opinion ever mattered to me, but everybody's collective opinion matters to me. My reputation matters to me. Just not Dustin's singular point of view. And Dustin's matters to me because he knows me better than you do, and now you matter more to me than you did 30 minutes ago, 
But Ricky Pants 49, who leaves a comment on Insta, he just knows what he sees on Insta. Right. He doesn't know me. Your closest friends and relatives don't know you. Nobody actually ever fully knows you. So why are you letting somebody's anonymous comments dictate how you feel about yourself? That's so important. I get so much feedback from people that haters crush their confidence and they really struggle to overcome them. They, they value other people's opinions. You know what else it does? People are like, Gary, you're so humble. I don't value other people's opinions. So when people come in and say, you walk on water, I'm like, cool. <laughs> no, really, it goes both ways, right? A lot of people talk about the trolls or the haters. Right. You know, when you kind of cross the chasm and now you're getting macro ridiculous. We like pro- the praise though, we like the praise. And I think people, that's where people's vulnerabilities are. They you're love right. the praise, so now they're validating other people's singular opinion, but then whoops, what just happened? You know, pretty goes to ugly really fast. Right. And now you're caught because you loved them when it was pretty. But now that somebody said ugly. So really it's, it's taking those compliments off the pedestal and 100%. saying we're, we're even all the time, we're all equal all the time, and whether the comment's positive or negative, I'm not gonna let and it And I would me. tell you, if you said push comes to shove, Gary, which one do you hear more? The, I have empathy for the negative feedback because I want to continue to evolve and I don't want to just say it's a hater. You know how many people say somebody's a hater or a troll but that person's actually right? No, I, I never thought about that. So I see a lot of people who are selling spam, selling products and services. And when somebody leaves a comment that says you're a snake oil salesman, they're like, hater, nah, <laughs> nah. You're saying that these goji berries cure cancer because you have an MLM and you're trying to sell people into it. They're right, you're wrong. So I never wanna become that caricature of myself. I never wanna be resistant to feedback, so even though I don't value the opinion, I, I listen. It may not penetrate my soul or my behavior, but I listen and I always try to calibrate it against of like, do not become delusional, do not become a caricature of yourself. Got it? It's very easy to get caught up when you have as much positive you know, reinforcement as I have, right. but I try to keep myself very much in the zone. I like that idea of, you know, really, instead of thriving off of the compliments, thriving off of the positive feedback, let it come in, accept it, listen to it. Like I said, listen to everything that's out there, but don't allow it to affect you. Listen, I'm more likely to, like, really be thoughtful about a troll comment than smell the roses. <laughs> I really am. And I think that uh, that level of, you know, if you're gonna have confidence, you need to balance it with humility. That's where it gets really going. And then you sprinkle a little empathy for the other person, again, everybody who's listening, if you've literally stopped posting because somebody said you're ugly or stupid, like you have to understand that that person's in a bad place. Right. We have to start talking about that. Like it takes energy to muster up watching something and then leaving a bad comment. Think about how miserable, think, could you imagine if that was your life? No, it's very sad. Like I, I've never done that in my life once. No. Never. But you're right, it's, it's all about them. It's not about the person the that's receiving the, the version comment. of me that's like that is sports me. <laughs> like I just, said, I just said, I've never done that and I actually just thought of something that almost happened yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Celtics. You might be a Celtics girl since you're from up there. And it goes to three to one, the series, and I wanted to tweet at Paul Pierce, who after game one when the Celtics won said the series was over and the Bucks were finished, I wanted to like tweet and be like, now what? because I hate Paul Pierce because I'm a Knicks fan. The only, again, back to I mentioned my grandmother. 
because I have a version of me where I'm sad as a Knicks and Jets fan and I wanna pull down the Patriots and Celtics, I'm like, ooh, that's sports. <laughs> that's that, a different arena. That's light. <laughs> but I really feel it, but that's sports. Wait a minute, that's how people actually live life. If, if my real life was Jets fan Gary, I would be devastated. And the fact that that's how everybody actually is acting right now about politics and life and social media. So one of the things that, you know, that's why I understand certain things. I'm self-aware that I am, you know, envious of other teams being successful. I'm sad that my team is not winning. I don't feel in control. One of the biggest reasons Mm -hmm. I tell everybody you're fully in control is because I believe it. I believe I'm fully in control. Makes my life happy. I am not in control of the New York Jets. Why do you think I want to buy them? That misery, (laughs) I want to get into control. If I own them, then I am in control. And so like, you know, so I under, like that's how people live their lives. They feel like the government's in control. They feel like their spouse is in control. Their boss, their corporation, the system. Yes. I don't believe that. I believe you can be very, that doesn't mean that women don't face more difficult things than men. That doesn't mean minorities don't feel, like there's systematic issues, but like everybody's got problems. Having too much is a problem. Sure, it can be. I mean, I've, been, I've been talking more, not only do I think it can be, if you actually hear what I said earlier, the BMW story, like I spend way more tit- much time on the entitled rich kids than I do on the poor kids. I think the poor kids have it good because they have a chip on their shoulder and with the new internet, nobody's stopping them. Right. I think it's the rich kids or the overspoiled kids that are in deep, 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 deep. They're soft. What about your kids? gonna be soft. <laughs> I mean it, I'm not joking. But can, what can you do then to address that? I'm gonna do the thing I'm gonna do, which is I'm gonna cut them financially off, completely. Oh my gosh. Completely. Are you serious? I feel like I'm going down an inevitable path of giving away all my wealth to charity. I really believe that. Which is wild, because 10 years ago I would have laughed you out of the room if you told me I'm an immigrant, wow. you give your family right. the money. I just think the money's a problem. That's shocking. You know, it's shocking for you even to come out of my own lips. But this is what happens when you live something. This is why I love talking about things I know instead of judging things I don't. I judged Bill Gates and Warren Buffett 15 years ago when I first heard it. But that's because I hadn't lived it yet. Now I realize, oh my God, if my kids know that they have a parachute at all turns, they can't live a life of That is comfortable, wow. Which then leads to uncomfort. Exactly. For, but, but, for, but I have to watch them because they're still young. For example, it's uncomfortable to me because I would never want anything I achieved to be hedged that it wasn't done by me. Mm-hmm. But that's me. Not everybody's like that. Some people love the idea of being third generation wealthy and just enjoy. They, I have too much pride and love of the process. Some don't like it. So you've gotta, you've gotta listen. So I'm just gonna be thoughtful and woke and open to all these things with my kids and we'll see, I have no idea. Most likely one of the kids is gonna wanna climb my mountain and be bigger than me and one kid's gonna wanna give away all the money in Africa and all of that's fine. I will not judge my children on how they react to their circumstance and DNA. I will not. I have no interest in my kids being entrepreneurs. I have no interest in my kids being competitive. I have no interest in my kids being like me. I have interest in one singular thing can they have as much peace of mind and happiness as I do? That's what it's all about. 100%.
That's a real confidence. It sure is. So I can't wrap up this show, Gary, without coming in hot. Anytime I'm scared of doing something, I have to do it. So I got to ask you something. Go ahead. So I listen to your podcast all the time. Yes. Um, My career was all about coming from nothing and smashing through the glass ceilings and getting to the C-suite, being a chief revenue officer, responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars, then getting fired and rebooting and starting my own company. I would love to share that message with your audience on your show. You want to be on my show? Yeah. It's done. You are the man. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you sharing your insights, your personal moments with this audience and, and for your time and, and just for everything you do because I, as a mother, I appreciate it a lot too. Thank you. Thank you.